Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. In that moment, after all that's been done to him, after the nails are driven into his hands and his feet, after he is suspended between heaven and earth, the first words out of his mouth, no, no. I did not just hear him say that. Father, forgive them? Father, forgive them? How is that even possible? It's Resurrection Sunday, or as most of the world knows it, Easter Sunday. What started on Friday with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and what probably appeared to be the end of the Jesus movement ends triumphantly early Sunday morning when Jesus Christ came out of the tomb and showed all the world that sin, death, and Satan were defeated. You can't really talk about the cross without talking about the empty tomb. And you can't really talk about the empty tomb without talking about the cross. Those two events, separated by three days, are eternally linked, and they are the key to our eternal life. 2,000 years ago, when the fog rolled in and it seemed like the message was Christ defeated, but then the third day came and the fog lifted and the message was Christ defeated the enemy. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we're taking a break from our current series to focus on the crucifixion account found in Luke chapter 23. As I said a moment ago, you can't really talk about the empty tomb without talking about the cross. And in today's message, Pastor Clay is going to walk us through Luke's account of the death of Jesus Christ. When looking at the crucifixion, we often talk about what it cost Jesus Christ on the cross, and we should talk about it. But have you ever thought about what Jesus Christ offered at the cross? That's what this message is all about. We're so glad you've joined us. Now here's Pastor Clay. Today is a celebration. It's a day of celebration. It's a celebration that had its culmination in the empty tomb, right? That's what today's about. That's what we talk about. It's a celebration that has its, its culmination uh, at the empty tomb. But it's a, it's a celebration of a victory that was won on an occupied cross. 2,000 years ago, historical facts, secular historians, as well as biblical accounts, uh, verify that a Jesus of Nazareth was put to death by the Roman officials outside the city of Jerusalem. It's very important that you and I remember that you never forget this. That while when Jesus was here and while he walked the earth and he, you know, that he he taught the people and taught us many good things. And if and if we just practiced the teachings that Jesus gave, we'd be a whole lot better culture and world in general. But he taught us many good things. And while he performed many miracles while he was here, We always need to remember that ultimately Jesus came to die. That was his purpose. That was the strategy of the Godhead from the very beginning. And it's it's vitally important that you understand that. That Jesus is not simply an historical character who had some good teachings. And and like I said, the world would be a better place if people... they, They would be. And he did some amazing things. And he fed people and he restored sight. And he And he healed the lame... He did all, and it's wonderful, but ultimately he came to die. He knew it. His disciples certainly should have known it because he said it multiple ways on multiple occasions. For instance, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus says this. 
He says, then Jesus took the 12 apostles aside and said to them, we're going to Jerusalem. Everything the prophets wrote about the Son of Man will happen. You're talking about the Old Testament prophets. They prophesied about, about the Messiah and what would happen. Everything the prophets wrote about the Son of Man will happen. He will be turned over to those who are evil. They will laugh at him, insult him, spit on him, beat him with whips, and kill him. But on the third day, he will, we say it with me, rise to life again. Oh, by the way, if you were here last week, last week's message, and I was talking about guys like Dr. Bart Ehrman and... and, uh, uh, Richard Dawkins and guys that, that discount the supernatural, they, they, they give no credence to supernatural events. You know one of the reasons why they, they, they just completely ignore a verse like this? They, just, they say that Jesus never said this. this. The church just made this up. Do you know why? You know what their argument is why they say that? It's too accurate. That's what they say. It's too accurate. There's no way that, that Jesus could have said all this before it actually happened because it happened exactly the way he said, so it, it, it must have been made up later. I've just always thought that if Jesus was who he claimed to be, which was God, he clearly claimed to be God, that you would expect God to be able to, you know what I'm saying? It just, it just seems like this. I don't know. Um, the night that, uh, uh, that Jesus was going to be arrested. Remember, if, you, if you read the gospel accounts, the night Jesus is going to be arrested. Do you remember? Peter's dozed off. All the disciples said, can't stay awake. Uh, and, and, but the guards come and everybody comes at night and to the garden there and the can light the lanterns and everything, whatever happened. And Peter, you know, wakes up from his slumber and he pulls out a sword and he starts swinging away. You remember that? You remember that account? You remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 26, he said uh, this, he says, put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly? Watch this. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? You see, he came to die. He understood why he was coming not long before his death. Jesus said this, John chapter 12. Now my soul is greatly distressed. This is, he, remember, Jesus, he's, he's 100% man, he's 100% God. I, don't, I know that doesn't add up, I don't understand it, but I'm just telling you it's what it is. And, and in his humanity, he says, my soul is greatly distressed. And what should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour? No. But for this very reason, I have come to this hour. Jesus came to die. It's very important that we understand that. The crucifixion uh, took place on a hill called Calvary. We know it as, mostly, as Calvary. It comes from the Latin word calvaria, which means skull or a skull. The New Testament, of course, was originally written in Greek. The Greek word that's used here is cranian, from which you can surmise that we get our word cranium, a skull. The Aramaic term was Golgotha, skull. Now, nobody knows for sure exactly why that place was called that. Some have speculated that the hill on which Jesus died, that that particular hill actually had the shape of a, a skull. And I've never been there, but as I understand it, that there is a hill outside of the Damascus Gate uh, in Jerusalem that resembles the shape of a skull. Maybe they, maybe they called it that for that reason. Maybe they called it that just because it was a place of, of death and pain and suffering and loss. And, and so the skull or the skeleton, or, or it just, maybe it just, just got that name for that reason. But whatever 
uh, however it got its name, and whatever name you refer to it as, uh, I think it's important that we understand that this place, this, this place of this cross is for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. It is one of the great ironies of Christianity that a place of death and suffering would bring to us life and joy. It may seem strange to you to discuss the cross today when, when, when we're celebrating the resurrection. But the truth is, those two events, separated by three days, are really inseparable. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. They're, they're two events, as I said, separated by three days, but eternally linked. I want to I share with you just for a few moments this morning, and I, I hope everybody will listen to me uh, today, uh, just about some truths uh, about what was what the cross was about and what happened. Uh, if you happen to bring a copy of God's Word with you, you can open it to Luke chapter 23. Uh, we're going to have the text up on the screen as well uh, for your convenience. And uh, those of you that may not uh, have a hard copy or electronic copy or something like that, Luke chapter 23, we're going to read the account of the crucifixion, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Thank you for being here. Uh, Luke chapter 23, uh, we're going to begin this morning in, uh, we're beginning, verse 33, right? Okay, here we go. Watch this. When they came uh, to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering, meaning the religious leaders, were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there, was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened and began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I uh, honestly do believe that this is holy ground uh, it, I know it must seem strange to, to many people that how an event that occurred 2,000 years ago 
uh, on our calendar could, could still be so meaningful to us, so uh, powerful uh, to us. But that's exactly what I uh, believe. And I pray today as we uh, approach this, this holy ground, this subject of the cross and the empty tomb, I pray that uh, you would just speak to each and every heart the people who are gathered here, the people who may be watching this message, that you would, you would speak to each of us right where we are individually. There's no way for me to know the, the spiritual situation of every person's life and what they think of, of Jesus and this whole crucifixion and resurrection thing. But I pray that your word would have its effect and speak to our hearts and that you would be honored and glorified and we would be changed as a result of this truth. God, God, I've read this account uh, probably thousands of times, but I must never approach this story flippantly or casually, but in great reverence, in a sense, in a great reverence, Lord God, for your willingness to lay down your life. You, Lord Jesus, came uh, to die. That may be hard for us to comprehend, but you'd promised it from the very beginning in your word. The Old Testament is full of it. We know it's going to happen. And we know that it did happen. Now make sure, God, that you speak into our hearts what you would want us to receive today. In Christ's strong name, amen. 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 Let's start with this idea today. Complete forgiveness was offered at the cross. We'll start with this idea. First and foremost, complete forgiveness was offered at the cross. In 33 and 34, it, uh, I just read it a moment ago, but it says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among them. Most of you probably, perhaps not all of you, but most of you are probably familiar with what had taken place up to this point. Uh, most of you perhaps uh, know of uh, the 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 false accusations that were made against him, the illegal arrest that was made in the middle of the night. You probably know up, at this, up to this point, he has, been, uh, he has been falsely accused, he has been arrested, he has been mocked, he has been ridiculed, he's been laughed at, he's been spit upon, uh, parts of his uh, beard have been ripped out, he has been beaten with a, with a whip containing at the ends pieces of, of jagged bone and or uh, metal beaten practically to the point of death, as the description goes. And then he's been forced to, uh, to pick up his cross and carry his cross from, uh, from uh, Pilate's courtyard through the streets of Jerusalem, out one of the gates of Jerusalem, up to this place called Golgotha, Calvary, this hill, this skull hill. Uh, the, the path, by the way, the, 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 the journey from Pilate's courtyard uh, through the gate up to Calvary has come to be known as the, the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. And Jesus is uh, carrying his cross and he's, he's going up to that place. And in that moment, after all that's been done to him, after the nails are driven into his hands and his feet, after he is suspended between heaven and earth, the first words out of his mouth, no, no. I did not just hear him say that. Father, forgive them? Father, forgive them? How is that even possible? After all that they have done to him, they cry, crucify him. 
He cries, Father, forgive them. I'm telling you, this is on display for all to see. This is the ultimate act of pure love taking place right here in this moment. The ultimate act of pure sacrificial love. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. By the way, the fact that they did not comprehend the full weight of their, of their sin does not excuse their actions. They knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate had already pronounced him innocent. And yet they chose to murder him. But complete forgiveness was offered at the cross. Father, forgive them. By the way, just because Jesus asked for the Father for them doesn't automatically mean that their sins were forgiven either. Jesus' Jesus' proclamation for the Father to forgive was a demonstration of of unbelievable grace and mercy in the face of unimaginable pain and suffering. But then, as today, hear me on this, then as today, forgiveness requires repentance. And there was no indication, at least from most of them there, that there was an act of repentance over the events that were transpiring, over what they were doing. But complete, listen to me, complete, complete forgiveness was offered. Look at this passage of Scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For if a man belongs to Christ, he is a new person. The old life is gone. New life has begun. Uh, in, in the original language, in, in the Greek, the, the idea captured here is that there's, there, there's literally a, a, a wiping clean. A, a, perhaps the idea of a, a, almost a chalkboard being completely wiped away. Completely Wiped away. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? All the things, all, all, the, all the things in your past, all the sins that I've committed, all the stuff that we wish that we could go back and undo, if we could go back and undo it. I got plenty of those things. I don't know about you, but I got plenty of those things that I wish I could undo. God says in that moment, I am wiping all of it away. It literally, absolutely, completely is gone. Complete forgiveness was offered at the cross. Look at this passage of Scripture in Psalm 103. Psalmist says, he has taken our sins from us as far as, you say that with me, the east is from the West. I, I love that passage of Scripture. Some of you have heard me talk about it before. I always like to explain about it because, uh, because we have new folks that come in and maybe you've never thought about this before. But I love the fact that the psalmist writes that our sins are as far as the East is from the West. He doesn't say as far as the North is from the South. Do you know why? Because if you start heading North, eventually what will happen? Yeah, you get to North Pole. Never been there. I'm pretty sure you start South. And you walk far enough, let's say drove, flew, however you got there, but you got all the way to South Pole, guess what happens? You start going north. That would be a long ways. I mean, just the size of the earth. You say, wow, that's a long ways that God put our sins. But God says, oh, no, 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 no. I put them much farther than that. I put them as far as the east is from the west. You see, if you start east, you're always going east. If you start west, you're always going west. You understand what I'm saying? That's how far God has placed our sins from us. And this is one sinner that is incredibly grateful that God has done that. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, he says, this is God speaking. He says, I, even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not 
remember your sins. You know, that, if God would say that about our sins, listen, I'm just throwing this out there. It might be a good idea for us to, to maybe take that advice from time to time. You know what I'm saying? Because I know, I know, I know that many of us sometimes struggle with the sins that we've committed in the past. We understand theologically and intellectually that God has forgiven us, but, but it's just hard for us to let go of this. Maybe, maybe you ought to practice what God preaches and practices. Because the next time that you've, con- that you've confessed and you've asked God to forgive you and you know he's redeemed you and restored you, and, and then it comes up again, right, in prayer time? Am I, am I talking to myself? But it's like, God, I, I remember and I don't know why, and, and, and please forgive me for X, Y, Z. And God says, what X, Y, Z? I've remembered your sins no more. Why do you keep bringing it up? Complete forgiveness. Listen, I don't, like I said, it's, it's impossible for me to know every person, every situation, where you are in your life and what's going on in your life. But I'm just saying to you today, first, first of all, to understand that complete, complete, complete forgiveness was offered at the cross. Here's the second idea uh, this morning. Uh, complete forgiveness was rejected at the cross. Let me uh, pick it up in verse 35. <clears throat> Uh, And people uh, stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this one, if this is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, Well, if you're king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And us, complete forgiveness was rejected at the cross. There's, there's, quite a, there's quite a host of personalities gathered there that day, aren't there? You got the religious leaders. And remember, in the Jewish culture, yeah, the Romans were in power, the Romans were in control, but Rome would tend to let countries, in some respects, have some of their own rulership, some of their own leadership, as long as they towed the line and did what they're supposed to do, Roman concern. And, and because uh, Israel was a, was, a, was a theocracy, it was, it was supposed to be based on God, and, and he was their government, he was leading, there were these religious leaders. And the religious leaders, of course, if you're familiar with the story, they're the ones that they, they, couldn't, they couldn't stand this radical rabbi who was bringing ideas to the people that, that conflicted with what they were trying to teach the people. And so they, they, they're getting him out of the way. They've got to get him out of the way. And so they, they've pressured Pilate and they've threatened to go, to go to Rome and tell Caesar that Pilate's letting insurrection rise up if he doesn't do something. And so Pilate wilts under the pressure and he, and he crucifies Jesus even though he's declared him to be innocent. And, they, and they, they're right there, man. They follow him right to the hill and they're right there at the cross as he's dying. And the, and the text says that they sneered at him. Y'all say that word, sneered at him. In Greek, I want you to see this. I know it's not a Greek lesson, but in Greek it is ekmukterizo. That doesn't mean anything to you except understand this. Ekmukterizo comes from the root word mukter, which means nose. Translated sneer, ekmukterizo comes from a root word that means nose. Listen to me. They literally, they literally were thumbing their nose in the face of God. Oh, he thinks he's the Messiah. He thinks he can save people. Well, let him save himself if he's the Messiah. Let him come on down off that cross. Come on. Come on down off there. In the face of God. The religious leaders, uh, to me, the religious leaders are an example of, of people that 
They, they don't need a cross. They don't, they don't need a crucifixion. They don't, they don't need a savior. Uh, they're good enough on their own to gain God's approval. They're good enough on their own to, to get to heaven. They, uh, they can do enough good works. They can be a good enough person. They can, they can keep enough rituals or, or show up for church enough times or give enough money or, uh, or you know, keep all the, the, the do's and stay away from all the don'ts. And, and as long as I do all that, I, me and God, the only problem with that Maybe you've seen this, Isaiah chapter 64. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. In other words, when, when, when the good that we do, God's certainly not anti-good, all right? Do good, do good. But when that good is the basis on which we think we're going to gain God's approval, or somehow we're going to earn our way into, into eternity, into heaven, and whatever all that will be, that somehow that I'll be good enough, or I'll do enough good, or somehow it'll balance out maybe some bad in my life. The, the idea, God says, it's, it's like a filth, it's garbage. It's garbage. And then, of course, there are the uh, soldiers, right? You read the account, the soldiers are there, and they begin to mock him. Now listen, can I tell you to you, the soldiers could care less. Man, they crucify people all the time. The Romans were proficient at it. They crucified lots of people, but they probably had never crucified anybody in which Pilate had ordered for a, a placard to be placed above his, his cross that said, King of the Jews, put it in three different languages. Uh, by the way, I, I think that's why the account said, I think it's why Luke says that verse right after it says that the soldiers were mocking him. Because that's how they knew. He's, oh, oh, this, this is your king? This is king of the Jews? Jeez, dude, come on down off that cross. You're a king. Soldiers, uh, to me, represent the, the people that just find the whole thing silly, right? The whole God, Jesus, resurrection, empty tomb, the whole thing's just silly. It's just a waste of my time. Why, why would I want to bother with that? Why, why do I, it's not even, and there are plenty of people, there's not plenty of people like that. Maybe, maybe you've been that place. Maybe you're at that place in your life now. It's just, ah, oh, it's just, that's just silliness. Look at this. Passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing, what? Foolishness. That, that's, that was the soldiers. That's, that's lots of people I've met. Okay, cross, Jesus, stuff. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. They don't, they, they don't get it. And then, of course, there is the thief, right? The thief who is hurling uh, insults and abuse at him. Oh, if you're the Christ, come on down and, and save yourself and us, a.k.a. me, save me. But what he failed to realize was that is, ex- that is exactly what Jesus was doing by staying on the cross. That it was by staying on the cross and, and making payment for the sins of the world that Jesus was making it possible for every man, woman, uh, boy, or girl on the face of the earth to be saved. But he didn't get that. It was just about this moment, this, this pain that he's in. And listen, there's no, there's no question. Jesus is the, he's the reason they're all there, right? They didn't come to watch the two criminals die. Jesus is the guy that's gathered all the attraction, all the attention. Jesus is the one that's made the religious leaders mad. Jesus is the one that came into town last week and everybody's saying, oh, yeah, oh, Messiah, we think he's here, yeah. So maybe, the, maybe this thief just thinks, well, he sees the, the religious leaders making fun of him and sneering at him. He sees uh, the soldiers making fun of him. Maybe if he gets in on the act, maybe he can save himself from it even. To me, again, this, this guy represents the, the, the person that, that wants Jesus for whatever. 
crisis they might have in their life at that particular moment. Oh, yeah, I got to get religion, or yeah, I, I need, I, this is going on in my life, and I, or I've just been diagnosed with some disease, or this is happening, or, you know, yeah, I, I need. But with no indication of an actual commitment or a desire to, to follow, complete forgiveness is being offered. And it was then, and it is still today at times, being rejected. Thomas Jefferson was a, a man like this. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was a, was a, a farmer, a diplomat, a, a man of great intelligence and intellect. He was a very strong uh, believer in religious freedom and even uh, believed in his idea of, of God. He believed in the, in, the, in the person of Jesus, the reality of Jesus. He believed in the teaching of Jesus, but he did not believe in the supernatural aspect of Jesus. He did not believe uh, in the miraculous, as some of those I described last week. He did not believe in a literal, physical, bodily resurrection from the grave. So you may not know this, but Thomas Jefferson actually wrote his own version of the gospel, his own gospel account. Thomas Jefferson's gospel account ends with this paragraph. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never a man laid, and there laid they Jesus, and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher, and departed. The end. That's where Thomas Jefferson's gospel account ends. With Jesus dead and cold and in the grave. And you and I without any hope at all. It is rejected. Uh, Joe Newton is a friend of mine. We, we live, uh, our families live next door to each other in seminary. And, and uh, uh, we've remained friends through the years. Joe pastors a, a church in Jacksonville, Florida uh, now. Cindy and I stopped and had lunch or dinner with Joe and Lori a few weeks ago. We were down there in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, Joe, uh, and it reminded me of this uh, story that Joe told me several years ago uh, about a, uh, a, a woman that uh, had been invited by a, a church member to attend with, with their church group to attend uh, the Passion of the Christ when it opened a few years ago, and the lady went. Uh, Joe was telling me that uh, not long after they went to see the film, he ran into the lady, and he asked her what she thought of the film. Her response was, Oh, I like Jesus Christ Superstar much better. It's much funnier. Ladies and I freely admit to you, I have no idea how someone can watch a film like that and come to that conclusion. But I'm just telling you that the cross is rejected for various reasons. I I was doing a revival one time uh, out near uh, the coast, uh, out near Moorhead City, a little church out there. And I was doing a a week revival. And uh, one, one of the nights of the revival, a guy came in to church uh, that was like the town uh, bad boy. And, and you know what I'm talking about in the small town? You have like the town bad boy, bad, bad Leroy Brown or something. Kind of, you know, like the, the town bad boy, bad boy Billy Bob. Because this country, this country, so it wasn't Leroy Brown. It was bad boy Billy Bob. And I mean, like he is bad. He's like just, just constantly getting drunk and getting in fights. And, and he's just got this reputation as the, as the town bad boy. Do y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know? Okay. All right. All right. All right, so, uh, so one night of the revival, bad boy Billy Bob walks into church. Walks into church. And I found all this out later, but apparently everybody in the church is absolutely aghast. They're just shocked that bad boy Billy Bob would come to church for the revival. Number one, because he never wanted to, apparently never wanted to have anything to do with church. But number two, sadly, they couldn't imagine who would have invited bad boy Billy Bob. But here he came. And then he just come. He comes in and he walks down to the front, sits on the front row. Some of y'all don't know what that's like, do you? 
It's good on the front row, I'm telling you. Anyway, Billy Bob sits on the front row. And, uh, and, I, and I didn't know the guy was there. I mean, I just, I just had prepared my messages in advance. And I, and I, but that night I brought the, a very strong evangelistic message about, about our sin, about our need for a Savior, about uh, Jesus offering grace and redemption and forgiveness to anyone who would come to him. And, and I offered an evangelistic plea at the end of the service. And, it's, and, and bad boy Billy Bob didn't give his life to Christ. He didn't come forward during the invitation. As far as I know, he didn't give his life to Jesus Christ. After the service, the pastor is coming up and he's telling me about bad boy Billy Bob was there. And, uh, and, he, said, and he said something that just always stuck with me. He said, he said yeah, he said, uh, bad boy Billy Bob came to church and, and, he, and he even sat on the front row. And listen, it was intimidating in this church to sit on the front row. Y'all think it might be intimidating. Y'all sit back. It, because here's the deal. It's like, it was like an elevated platform, like maybe about, th- really about this high. But it's a small a little church. And it literally can't be more than at the maximum two feet from the platform to the, to the first row. So the preacher's like all up in your face. I mean... Sweat and spit. It's like being a WWF match or something, you know, on the front ringside. And it's just, you know, and there he was. And, 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 he, and he said something. He, the, the pastor, he said, he says, yeah, he says, he said, Billy Bob, he said he wouldn't have even had to, when the invitation, he wouldn't even had to, to walk in the aisle. He could have just, just taken one step and, and, and he could have given his life to Christ and, and he could have been saved. And then he said this, and this is what's always stuck with me. He said he, he was just two feet from heaven. And, I, and I've thought about that and I've thought, I wonder how many people someday at the judgment seat of God will have sat in a church or heard a neighbor share or a coworker or somebody share the message of Christ with them. And all they have to do is receive Christ as their Savior two feet from heaven, but on the road to hell. Complete forgiveness is rejected by various people for various reasons. Let me give you a reason. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, let me give you a reason to accept. God loves you. He really does. And all the evidence, all the proof you ever need that he does is hanging on that cross. I know I got to close. Let me, let me go to the third one real quick. Complete forgiveness was asked for at the cross. Verse 40 uh, says this, but the others answered rebuking him said, the, the, other, the other thief, do you not even fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. By the way, some of the other gospel accounts tell us that initially both thieves were, were railing on Jesus. Both thieves were ridiculing Jesus on either side of him. But something changed this guy. Something changed this man. And I think I know what it was. It was watching Jesus die. That changed this guy. Because let me tell you something. You don't run into people very often. Who will get beaten to a bloody pulp. Nailed to a cross. Left to die. You don't run into many people that that would go through something like that. And then say father forgive them. I think it was what he saw. As he watched Jesus die. That changed this man to recognize that this guy. There's something about this guy that's different. I don't know what he may or may not have known about Jesus before. But what I do know is that he was, he was, he was ridiculing him at first. And something changed him. And, and he, 
And he came to believe. The elements are there. We don't have time really to go back over again. But if you look at the elements are there and what the thief says, it really coincides very closely with what we sometimes refer to as the, as the sinner's uh, prayer. He, 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 adm- he admitted that they were under judgment. He says to the other thieves, don't you fear God? And then he admits that, that he knows that he's, that he's a sinner. He says, for we are, we're getting what we deserve. And he admits the, the purity and sinlessness of, of Jesus. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then, in that moment, he turns in faith. This has got to be pure faith because there's not a lot Jesus can do from a, from a physical aspect hanging on that cross, right? But he turns to him in that moment and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I read this story uh, years ago. I understand it's true. I've never been able to verify it. But, but from what I understand, that, that there were, a number of years ago, there was a young man who was a, a, a diver, an aspiring Olympic diver. Uh, who was in college. He was raised in an atheistic home where God really had nothing to do with their home. And he had, he had no spiritual influence in his life other than one young man that he had met and grown up with uh, who was a committed follower of Jesus Christ and who would often talk about Jesus and what Jesus had done for him. And, and he, he would often share what we refer to as the gospel. And most times there was little indication that this, the diver... Uh, paid much attention to his friend, although he certainly heard him plenty of times. One night, uh, this young man ha- hadn't had an opportunity to get in his, his practice time during the day because of whatever reason. And so he went down to the pool the, there at the university um, at night. He was going to do some diving at night. He went in, and the lights were all off, but uh, the, the, the room, the gym, whatever you call it, where the pool was, uh, had uh, a number of, of skylights in it, and there was enough moonlight coming through that night that he could see uh, to walk, uh, you know, down to the diving board, and he climbed up to the highest uh, board, and uh, according to the story, he comes uh, to the uh, end of the, the board, and he turns around, as the divers do, and he, and he, and he you know, getting set to, to dive, and as he's preparing to, to dive, he, he lifts his, his hands up, and apparently, because of the moonlight, his body made the the shadow of a cross on the wall that he was looking at. And rather than, than complete his dive, the young man fell to his knees right there on the diving board and, and gave his life to Jesus Christ. All that the, the guy, his friend had been saying to him, it all, it all just came rushing in and God's spirit just moved on this young man and he committed his life to Jesus Christ. A minute or two or however long it was, uh, he, he stood up and as he stood up, a maintenance worker uh, there at the university uh, came in the door and turned the lights on and the young man who had just accepted Christ and was, had just been preparing to dive into the pool looked down in utter amazement and shock to realize that the pool had been drained for repairs that he just couldn't see. And in that moment, he realized that God had saved him twice on that diving board, once physically and once spiritually. Complete forgiveness is still being accepted. It's still being offered and it's still being accepted. Because, here's the last item, and we'll, we'll close. Complete forgiveness was provided at the cross. I have to think that those words had to be some of the sweetest words this man has ever heard when Jesus uh, says to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was offered. It was accepted. It was provided for at the cross. That's, that's what this day is all about. It culminates. We celebrate the empty tomb. It's the, it's the evidence that, that what happened on the cross uh, validates what Christ did in, in, in paying for the sins of mankind. 
but it's still being accepted. I don't know where you are in your life, and I don't, I don't know what you've thought about this whole thing, but I'm just telling you that, that complete forgiveness can still be accepted, is still being accepted. Um, if you're not a history person, this won't mean anything to you, but in the early 1800s, uh, 1815 to be exact, there was a very famous battle that took place on the continent of Europe known as the Battle of Waterloo. Uh, it was between the, the French emperor, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, and British and Prussian forces uh, led by uh, uh, General Wellington, the British commander. And uh, most of the continent of Europe, as I understand it, and, and England uh, itself understood that, that really the future of England and the future of, of Europe really hung in the balance with this, with this one battle that was about to take place. And so, you know, everybody was, obviously wants to know but there's no telegrams, no telephones, obviously, in those days. But a ship coming, uh, the, coming from Europe uh, would, would uh, had flag signals that they would give. They would send messages through these coded flags uh, to someone on shore who would then signal it to another signalman and another and another, and that's how it would reach London and, and eventually get everywhere that it needed to go. So all, all of England is waiting to hear how the battle is, is going and, and uh, the, the ship begins to uh, signal the events. And the first word that the signalman signals in is Wellington. And the second word that he signals is defeated. And just as he signaled the second word, as the story goes, uh, a fog bank rolled in off of the English Channel and completely... Uh, consumed the ship. It, it completely disappeared. And for two or three hours, uh, the message went out all over England, Wellington defeated. And there was great sadness and gloom and despair. But in about three hours, the fog lifted and the signalman was able to finish the message which said, Wellington defeated the enemy. And all of England rejoiced. There was a day 2,000 years ago, when the fog rolled in and it seemed like the message was Christ defeated. But then the third day came and the fog lifted and the message was Christ defeated the enemy. You know, there, there, were, uh, there were two criminals at Calvary that day. But there were three robbers because Jesus robbed death of its sting He robbed the grave of its power, and he robbed Satan of his victory. Hallelujah. What a Savior. As you heard in today's message, there was quite a gathering around the cross that day and differing reactions. The religious leaders and one of the thieves mocked and ridiculed Jesus on the cross. They rejected the forgiveness and grace that was offered there at the cross. The other thief opened his heart to the reality of who was dying beside him there on the cross, and it changed his eternal destiny. How good it must have sounded to that man to hear Jesus say to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. The salvation Jesus offered that day at the cross is still being offered today to anyone who would accept his sacrifice for their sin. What about you? Have you received the grace that was offered that day on Calvary? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. 
Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.